0: My name is Dave. Uh, I have been uh, a member here at Joy for almost two years. Uh, my wife and I have been coming, or I've been coming, because of my now wife, <laughs> for, uh, I guess, like three or so years. Um, I get to share the, the word with you guys today. Um, so today's reading is from Matthew 1, um, verses 18 to 25. I'll give you a moment to get there. The word of God says this. you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, this community. Thank you for Joy Community Fellowship uh, and the blessing that it's been to uh, these people and to many others. Father, thank you that we get to come and worship. Thank you that you are an inviting God, um, that you invite us into a relationship with yourself, that you invite us um, not just into forgiveness, but into joy and pleasure forevermore. God, thank you for your word and your truth. Uh, God, thank you that um, you're inviting us to prepare our hearts for this Christmas season. Um, So God, I pray that you would continue to prime our hearts for worship today uh, and as we continue into this Advent season. Father, thank you for Jason and his leadership. God, I pray over him now that you would calm any nerves um, that might be in him, that you would um, help him step aside and and communicate through him. Um, Father, thank you for um, all that you are and all that you do, we love you so much. it's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: You know how it is when some great king one of its houses, because of his dwelling in that single house, the whole city is honored, and enemies and robbers cease to molest it. Even so it is with the king of all. He has come into our country and dwelt in one body amidst the many. And in consequence, the designs of the enemy against mankind have been foiled, and the corruption of death, which formerly held them in its power, has simply ceased to be. For the human race would have perished utterly had not the Lord and Savior of all, the Son of God, Come among us to put an end to death. That is a good word. That word was written by... Well, if you're on Facebook, you may already know who wrote that word. But if you are not, that word was written by a man named Athanasius of Alexandria. In his book, On the Incarnation. Written sometime before the year 319. AD. Specific dating for some of his work is difficult. It's a worthwhile read. You can read it online. Uh, there's PDF form free. It's like 50 pages long. It's excellent. On the Incarnation. Athanasius, if I had time, I would spend some time talking to you about Athanasius. He's one of the great figures in church history, a defender of the faith, one who fought. Uh, he even wrote a book called Do you know? You know one of his most famous works? Athanasius against the world (laughs) as he defended uh, the the truth that Jesus is not like God but is God fully. These words of Athanasius about a king coming to dwell among us they serve as a reminder that what we have gathered to celebrate this morning, the coming of Jesus to this world, fully God and fully man is something that the church has celebrated and affirmed throughout its history. I always, I love reading like really, really old quotes from church fathers and and, and faithful brothers and sisters throughout the years because it's like, yeah, the year 300, Athanasius is gathering with a group of people talking about this, Right? 1,700, wait, no, my math is really good. 1,800 years ago, I'm still living in the 2000s. Right, no, it is 1,700, right? Yeah, I don't know, wait, let's not. <laughs> Seventeen or 1,800 years ago, this is what they're gathering to remember. Today's passage in Matthew and our earlier reading in John show us this truth that the Savior came, born of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We're in week two of a four-part Advent series that will, Lord willing, wrap up on Christmas Eve. And today we rejoice in the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. There are many who think that the subject matter of today's message is crazy. Virgin birth. Fully God, fully man. The world around us may scoff at these ideas. And none of us likes to be the object of scoffing. The object of ridicule. There can be a temptation both for us as individuals and for the church as a whole to want to hide these claims. To want to change these claims They say well of course we know you know science has proven that there can't be a virgin birth and God couldn't be born as a human but nonetheless these are a great allegory they're a great story that point us to things that are still true nonetheless the fundamentals of our faith are still true brothers and sisters Those here gathered this morning, maybe you're not considering yourself a Christian. You're you're saying, I'm I'm exploring the faith, or or, I don't believe this. I want to be very, very clear right from the front today. The historic virgin birth of Jesus and the reality of his dual nature as God and man fully, these are not parts of our faith that are negotiable, they are essential. They are literal. They are not cleverly invented stories. They are true. And our faith hangs on these truths. If we lose these truths, if, or if they are untrue, we lose the gospel. The gospel isn't true if these things aren't true. If we lose these truths, salvation does not come through Jesus Christ. We have no reason to gather. We're a social club. We need one who is mighty to save We need one who is qualified to save, and we need one who is willing to save. In Jesus, we find all of these requirements met. Brothers and sisters, and maybe especially, uh, not exclusively, some of you maybe who are newer in your faith, some of you who are younger in your faith, we may be tempted to be ashamed. I don't want to tell this part of the story What are people going to think of me? I believe this. Maybe even tempted to doubt. It seems so impossible. Hey, guess what? I'm going to say this again later, but it is impossible. This we have an impossible truth that we're talking about here. When doubts and fears arise in my own heart, when I have private moments of wondering, like, why am I doing this? Like, is this real? Am I, am I, am I doing, you it? it happens to me. Do I do this just because I get a paycheck? Or do I believe this? It's a good question to ask yourself. You don't get a paycheck, most of you, but... but why am I here? And when the doubts are the strongest or the fears are the strongest... As I consider topics like this, the place I run back to is the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. If the tomb of Jesus is empty, if he was truly raised from the dead, then we have great confidence that everything else said about him and by him is true. If he was not raised from the dead, then none of it is true. But he is risen we have great reason to believe that he rose triumphant from the grave and ever lives to make intercession for all who believe and that he will return again one day and it's worth noting for whatever it's worth that some who think of our view as you know crazy jesus is fully god and fully man and he came to the earth and he came as a savior They themselves believe, some of them, that out of absolutely nothing, all that exists came to be. I mean, if that's not the definition of supernatural, I don't know what is. That out of nothing, all that we see came to be? That is a supernatural belief too. We do not need to apologize or feel embarrassed about what we believe. We have great reason to believe what we believe. And it is true. And our God is supernatural. We can't fit every thought about him into our minds. It's not the way we were able. We're not him. He's bigger than us. He's wiser than us. He's more powerful than us. Does it then make sense that we won't fully understand everything about him or his ways? Now, What in the world, you might ask, does this have to do with what Dave read a few minutes ago? I think it has everything to do with what Dave read a few minutes ago. This passage is not first and foremost about the nobility of Joseph or even about the influence and the visitation of the angel. This passage is about the Word become flesh. The Son of God coming to the earth. And we're going to talk more in the next two messages, Lord willing, about his names. Jesus, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. But for the rest of this morning, let us consider the parents of the Christ. Last last week we learned of his earthly heritage. He was a son of David, a son of Abraham, heir to the throne, child of promise. This morning we will remember that Jesus is the son of Joseph and Mary. Son of man and the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of man. And in this passage, do you have your Bibles open? You, you got Matthew chapter 1 open? Jesus is the Son of Man, and given what we learned last week about Matthew's desire to show the lineage of Jesus through Joseph's family, he focuses almost exclusively on Joseph's side of the birth narrative. And if you're looking to read more about Mary's side, Mary doesn't get a ton of, of uh, you know, uh, publicity, I guess, although she did the, uh, the heavy lifting in this passage and in this uh, story, uh, You can read Luke's account. We will do that on Christmas Eve. Read some of Luke's account uh, of Jesus' birth. Um, But there is much to be learned about Mary. But if you think like at the end of this, he didn't really talk about Mary. It's because she's not really given much attention in this particular text. All we learn of her in this passage is that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and that she gave birth to Jesus. Joseph and Mary were betrothed do you know what betrothal is? It's kind of like engagement, a little more serious, a little more significant than our version of engagement. It's the point in a relationship when legal agreements of marriage were complete. And there would be a period of up to uh, about a year. The promise was formalized. The relationship was formalized. The, again, the legal agreements were made. Uh, and during the betrothal tri- time, if the breaking uh, of the agreement happened, that was considered a divorce. That's how significant betrothal was seen. If, if a woman was uh, in, in betrothed to another man and he died, she was considered a widow. So it was uh, as significant in some ways as marriage When the period of betrothal ended, there was a formal marriage celebration and a home taking where the couple fully became husband and wife. And so we can deduce from this passage in verses 18 and 19 that Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant, right? So let's let's look. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So do you think I'm right in deducing that Joseph found out Mary was pregnant before he had the encounter with the angel? Correct? We got that? Okay. Now, first of all, I was was just struck a little bit this week by the fact that, This is literally the only time in the history of the world that this particular conversation has happened, right? Now, I'm not saying it's never been attempted in other situations, but like that it truthfully happened. This is truly a unique experience, right? Joseph, I'm pregnant. And the the baby is born of the Holy Spirit. And we can deduce from this passage, understandably, right? Right? We, don't have, we have to speculate exactly how that interaction went. Uh, Joseph, I, don't, I can't even imagine, right? How do, you, how do you receive that information? How did Mary receive that information? She did it with faith. Joseph receives that information from Mary. I, I don't even know what to do. What, what comes next? But we see uh, that Joseph, at the very least, let's say, doesn't understand what the appropriate reaction to this news is, right? At the least. He might, we might even take it so far to say, is, like, Mary, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear the words coming out of your mouth. It's really, really hard for me to believe that that's, that's reality. He doesn't understand what to do. And, and I think it's a great reminder for all of us that apart from supernatural work, There's no way of understanding supernatural truth. Apart from a work of God, there is no way to understand. The the scripture says in 1 Corinthians, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned and I'm not saying this to rag on Joseph in any way, okay? I don't mean to do that. I say it to point out an important reality. We need God's light to shine to give us understanding into anything of spiritual significance. Is that true? The gospel is the prime example. It is absolute folly to so many, yet it's the reason we gather. And let me ask you, Is that because we're smarter people than other people? I don't think. Is it because we're better people than other people? No. Are we more deserving people than other people? No. Sorry to burst your bubble. Everything we have and everything we know and everything we believe is all by the empowering work of the Spirit and the grace of God. Everything. The grace that is freely offered to all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So Joseph hears this news and we learn that he desires to be both just, right? It says here, he is a just man and merciful at the same time, right? Joseph wants to be just and merciful, unwilling to put Mary to shame. That's what we learn here. He did, note, it does not say Joseph did not want justice. It says that he's a just man. And he was unwilling to put her to shame. He wanted justice done, but he wanted it done in the kindest way possible under Jewish law. Joseph chose the more merciful path. He could have had Mary dragged out to a public place and stoned to death if he chose. But he resolved to quietly divorce her so as not to put her to shame. Joseph wants justice, but he wants to show mercy. Joseph is an image bearer of God the earthly father of Jesus, and he is a reflection of Jesus' heavenly father, the first person of the Trinity. Joseph wants mercy, and Joseph wants justice, and he was prepared for both of those to be put upon Mary. What a pointer to the one who is about to be born, right? The savior of the world by whose death God the Father would show himself to be both just and merciful. Justice and mercy meet together in the death of Jesus Christ. God the Father proves himself to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death will be the means by which the law's demands are satisfied on our behalf, right? God doesn't sacrifice his justice to show us mercy. Amen. He pours out his justice on his son, Praise the Lord. who would become the bearer of justice on our behalf. Joseph encounters the angel of the Lord. So Joseph's resolved. I'm going to do this. I'm going to quietly divorce her. I don't want to bring her to shame, but I do want to do what's right by the law. Joseph encounters the angel of the Lord in a dream. And the angel affirms to Joseph what Mary told him, right? Verse 20. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, What, what, don't look. Don't look at your Bibles. I told you to do it. What does he call, what's the angel called Joseph? son Son of David. The only other time in the New Testament that that's used for anybody other than the one who's about to be born. Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Kids, I got a question for you, all right? We got an angel here. How many other times in the, I don't have an exact number, but tell me some other times in the story of Jesus being born when an angel is involved? So there were angels when he was born, right? What were they doing when he was born? Go ahead, you can say it. Singing. Singing. What else? Where else do we see angels in the story of Jesus being born? Did angels come to anybody else and tell them about Jesus? The shepherds. Who else? Mary. Yes. Who else? Elizabeth. Yes. Who else? Zechariah. Man, you're you're on fire this morning. Some of you sounded not kid-like, I'll just tell you. But (laughs) some of those voices I was hearing, but that's okay it's all right. Our kids are getting mature. I was away for a few months. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's the way it is. I just think it's really neat to consider that angels play a huge role in the annunciation of Jesus coming. They're all around and here the angel comes to Joseph and says, don't be afraid, son of David, to take this woman as your wife. What she told you was true. Again, I can't imagine. How do you deal with that? The Lord takes great measures to prevent Joseph from making the wrong decision in this matter. The Lord intervenes. He protects Mary, he protects Joseph, and ultimately, you would protect Jesus through this intervention. This child will have an earthly mother and father, and so Joseph obeys the angel. And takes Mary as his wife. He is the son of man. But this child is also fully God. He is the son of God. I know I've said this a lot. Just so I'm clear. We believe Jesus to be. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. Not 50-50. Not man for a while and then returning to God. No. 100% man, 100% God from the time of conception. Multiple times in this passage, we see that the child is referred to as born of God, born of the Holy Spirit. Some, some may say, well, that's, you know, that's not unique to Christianity to have a God bearing a human child. That proves it's a myth because there's other stories like that. And a couple things on that. I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but first... The mythological stories of God's bearing human children seem to exclusively do so to reveal the pettiness, arrogance, weakness, or vengeance of said gods. Meanwhile, here we have the word become flesh. Why? To show us what God is like. To be our perfect representative. To be our sin bearer. To show the mercy and love of God. Taking the form of a servant. It's truly remarkable. The second thing. It is very interesting. That this seems to be a story. That's written on the hearts of everybody. Right? I mean you watch a Disney movie. You could watch the Avengers. Whatever. You know you could, you could read a good book. Uh, Even when the versions are different, the idea that someone with a superpower needs to condescend and help us and save us and rescue us, that's a story that seems to be woven into the fabric of the human heart, doesn't it? Pretty much every good story has some version of that, right? Rescue needed, rescue provided. Hero overcomes villain. There's a reason why that exists everywhere. We were made with that story written on our hearts. And the angel affirms to Joseph and to us that this child would be the promised one, the one who would come to fulfill all that was written of him in the Old Testament, the one who wrote the Old Testament. God was about to be born. It's mind-boggling. Can you imagine that? God is born. We sung, I I can't remember. It was a little town of Bethlehem, maybe. But just this picture of the one who's laying in the manger, right, is the one who's upholding the universe by the word of his power. It's mind-boggling and true. Don't shy away from it. Lean into it. Rejoice in it. It's supposed to be more than our brains can handle. Faith. It's by faith that we believe these things. Not without evidence. But we have faith to believe that it is true even when we don't understand. The God who made everything we see The triune God made a plan from all of eternity past that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, would one day step into time, take on flesh, and come for the rescue of his fallen creation. We're going to talk more deeply next week about the rescue. What that rescue exactly looks like. The one who upholds all things by the word of his power would wear a body of flesh like ours. He would live entirely for the glory of his Father and he would come to seek and save that which is lost. That is the glory of the advent. There's a lot more I could say. We'll spend more time, Lord willing, the next two messages considering that work. But for today, I want to spend the last few minutes simply pondering The implications and benefits of the reality that Jesus is the son of God and the son of man. Jesus as the son of God would be born without sin. No seed of Adam in this man. He was born not by natural means, but by supernatural now, some, I, 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 I didn't have this written down, so if I botch it, I apologize. You ever, anybody ever read uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis? So he, taught, he gives a little uh, an analogy in, the, in that book of so what I just said, right? That Jesus would be born without sin. And some people might say, well, that's not fair. He got to be, he got an advantage. You know, he was born without sin uh, and we got, we're born into sin, that's not fair. And, and C.S. Lewis says, you know, if you're hanging off of a cliff and somebody comes and reaches their hand down and says, you know, here, take my hand, I'll save you. Your first reaction to that person is not to say, well, that, that's not fair. You have, you've got an advantage. You're up there. Come down here and save me. Jesus was born without sin, fully human, but by the Holy Spirit. He would live a life free from sin, not free from temptation, not free from trial, not free from suffering, free from sin. I can remember being on a youth retreat as a teenager and hearing a leader in my denomination stand before a group of young people and say that Jesus probably sinned when he was a kid or as an adult sometimes. And I am grateful to God that I had people in my life who were my leaders who came around and said that's not true that's not right he did not sin he had no sin the scriptures say specifically that he had no sin no sin if jesus sinned then the god again the gospel is gone Jesus coming as the Son of God means that He began not under the corruption of the fall and He lived the perfect life that you and I cannot and do not. But as the Son of God, He is mighty to save. He is eternal. He is eternal past and eternal future. Therefore, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. He is uniquely qualified and capable of doing what we cannot do. He is mighty to overcome sin and overcome even death itself. He will conquer death by becoming human, by dying for our sin, and by rising from the dead as the victor over sin and the grave. The one about to be born The one we read of this morning would be the only one by whom we can truly live forever. Because he is the son of God. Because he would also be the son of Mary, the son of Joseph. We can likewise rejoice in these things. And I pray if you have not come to know Christ, believe in him today because he is the son of Mary and Joseph, the son of man, we can rejoice in these truths. He would be sympathetic. This one to come. Familiar with suffering. Familiar with sorrows. Familiar with human frailty. Do you know that today? That you have a Savior who is familiar with your weaknesses? We worship a Savior who knows human limitations. Who felt the pains we feel. Who knew the temptations we know. I know I've shared this probably 10,000 times. But I'm going to share it again. It's one of my favorite quotes in the whole wide world from Scottish pastor Horatius Bonner. He says, Jesus weeps with us. In all our affliction, He is afflicted. He knows our sorrows, for He has passed through them all, and therefore He feels for us. He is touched with the feeling of our griefs as well as of our infirmities. Man, very man, man all over, even in His glory, He enters most fully into the fellowship of our burdens and our sorrow. Whatever these may be, for there is not one which he did not taste when he dwelt among us here. His is sympathy, deep, real, and true. It is no fiction, no fancy. We do not see his tears falling upon us. Neither do we clasp his hand, nor feel the beating of his heart against ours. But still, his communion with us in suffering is a reality. We may not understand how it can be, but he understands it. And he can make us feel it, whether we comprehend it or not. I love that quote. And I love it because it's true. This baby would be a sympathetic savior. Not one who looks down his nose at us and says, why can't you be like me? But one who knew we could not be like him and came for us and our salvation. One who weeps with us and for us. One who is truly sympathetic. And yet, as the son of man, he can also represent us. He would truly have flesh. And he would triumph where our first representative, Adam, failed. Where Adam fell, Jesus would have victory. Where we fall, Jesus had victory. He would do so as our representative. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus... so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is a faithful brother. He can be a faithful representative for us because he is the son of man. And as we wrap up this morning, we go back to the scene in Matthew chapter 1. It is against all human reason that Mary's baby is born of the Holy Spirit. It is against all human reason that Joseph would become convinced to stay with her, to believe the unbelievable. But it happened. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Son of God, son of man. He would feel our pains. He would bear our rejection. He would be both mighty and willing to rescue us from our hopeless state. We rejoice today that he is the son of Joseph and Mary and the son of God almighty. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to the earth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving light to our eyes, giving us ears to hear hearts that are softened. Thank you, Jesus, that as fully God, you are mighty to save, and as fully man, you are willing to save, and you are a fitting representative for us. May we rejoice in your coming to this earth. Where our hearts are hardened, Lord, break, break up that stony ground that we might receive the joy that comes from this message. Where we are struggling to believe certain aspects, whether it is that you truly are mighty Remind us that we see it so clearly here in the person and work of Jesus. Maybe we're struggling to believe that you care or that you see us. And here we see the lengths that you are willing to go to to rescue us. And if you gave your son for us all, what good thing are you going to withhold from us? Remind us of that. Remind us of a Savior who is sympathetic, who cares for all of our situations, our hurts, our pains, and has solved the biggest problem we have, separation from you because of our sin. If these are the lengths that he was willing to go to for that, remind us that you will care for every little detail of our lives. Thank you, Father, that we can rejoice in this together, and we thank you that this is truly the best news that has ever existed. May we be eager to share it with those around us, knowing that it is only through the gospel message that hearts are transformed. We are witnesses to that, and we thank you for your great saving work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.